Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, you can find this passage on page 867. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony, testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom, and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was in the island of Patmos, most because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. These are the words of Jesus Christ. So I add my voice to the worship leaders in welcoming so many of you back or so many of you here for the first time. We still have fun. Life goes on. We do things for God in the summer when you're gone. But it's always a lot of fun to start a new year and exciting and everybody gets back. And so as a worship, you know, the worship leader almost had to crack a whip to get attention to start the worship because everybody's chattering. And that's really nice. So welcome back. 
Now, if this is your first time with us, let me tell you a practice we follow, instituted by a senior pastor and still followed by the current senior pastor, is that we preach through a book of the Bible. We've just come through the book of Joshua, halfway through the book of Joshua. We're taking a break, and now we're moving into the book of Revelation. Now, there's a reason for this, is that basically God speaks to his people in a lot of ways, but the one most reliable, standard, self-identified way that God speaks to us is through Scripture. So we really want to engage in the spiritual and mental discipline of paying close heed to what Scripture says. There's certain challenges. It was written to people different from us a long time ago. So we have to look at what did God say to them through Scripture? And then, given a difference between their circumstance and ours, what is God saying to us? And so, as it happens, we begin this week with the book of Revelation. You want to have your Bible open, the Pew Bible open. If you use the Pew Bible, it's page 867, because we're going to take a close look at it. You know, if you just read through it the first time, it seems like just a bunch of random information. But there's a point to it. And let me illustrate. About, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago, 25 years ago, someone in my family who was married and had kids left his wife and moved in with another woman. And eventually, that woman wrote to the man's parents. Now think of the circumstance, right? You're writing to this the parents of a guy who's left his wife and children for you, and you're trying to gain acceptance. So the letter began. I wouldn't be surprised if you tore this letter up once you saw who it was from. Now, this sermon is not going to be about desertion and the chaos and tumult that it creates for families when there's desertion. But it does illustrate the problem. How do you begin a letter... If you know the people who are going to take, receive the letter don't want it, they don't want this letter, how do you start it? How do you convince them to read the thing when they're not going to want it? Or think back to the history of our country. Think back to the 60s. Well, or anyway, to what you've read about the 60s in books you've read. Picture yourself, you know, in the... And racism was not just a problem with the South. We had a lot of trouble in Boston in the 70s with riots over busing. But think back to the Deep South in the early 60s. And some people have been killed. And there have been demonst- peaceful demonstrations, but the fire hoses have been turned on them by the political and, and police authorities. People have been beaten. The dogs have been let loose. And finally, the leader of the movement, the most visible, one of the most visible leaders of the movement is put in jail. And while in jail, then beaten. And he writes a letter. How is he going to convince these people who face jail and beating and maybe death, how is he going to convince them in his predicament, how is he going to convince them to keep with the movement? This is the sort of situation that John is facing. The elder John has been put in jail, and other people have been killed, or it's obvious that other people are going to be killed. And he's writing a letter to some people who have faced the same kind of circumstance he's facing. 
And he's got to get them to read this letter. Chapter 1 is not just random information. How is he going to convince them to read this letter when he's been jailed because of his Christian faith? And they are likely, some of them will certainly be jailed. He anticipates at least two will be killed. A great many others will be jailed and others will be killed. And the first thing he has to do when he starts this letter is to explain to them why they should read it. Now, there's a lot of indirect communication going on here. He doesn't say, okay, here, I know you don't want this letter. Here's why you should read it. He starts off like every letter does. But there's indirect communication. There's something going on behind the scene or, or, or underneath the text. And if you read it carefully, you see what he's giving them. I mean, the first time I went through it, I counted 13. I made life easier. You can't have a 13-point sermon, so I ended up with 10. <laughs> 10 is way too many for a sermon. We won't get through them all. But... Basically, all of these are implicit reasons why they should accept this letter. And here's why it's hard for them. They face all this danger. And Revelation says basically one thing. It's going to get worse. Some of you are going to jail. Your property is going to be confiscated. Some of you are going to die. Yet... And God's not going to deliver you. Yet, persevere. That's the whole message of Revelation. This is not short-term good news. Long-term good news. But this is not short-term good news. How is he going to get them to be receptive to this letter he's writing them? Now, before we get into how he tries that, let's think of one more scenario. Think about us. Why should we care about this letter? The chances of any of us ever being persecuted, ever finding ourselves in their circumstance, is remote to the point of being infinitesimal. You do realize, of course, in the Chinese congregation, there's people who've been in this circumstance. They're elderly now. And some of them, some of them have already passed away. But there are people in the, in the Chinese congregation who's, who've been through this circumstance. And they could care about Revelation. You know, our founding pastor, for example, was imprisoned during the Cultural Revolution, was put in a work camp. He was betrayed and uh, turned over to the authorities. And he was put in a work camp during the Cultural Revolution. But he's deceased now. Or I'd have him talking about some of his stories. But how about the, you know, this is so incongruous with our experience. There's a whole variety of reasons why, you know, we'd be inclined not to pay a whole lot of attention to Revelation. For one thing, it's totally incongruous with our experience. You know, the biggest thing we're going to have to worry about, probably, this semester, is whether we pass the exams or get our papers done on time. Or, or maybe the economy still hasn't, you know, this economy is still limping along, maybe whether we're going to get laid off. And that's a huge issue. But nobody's going to put us in jail or threaten to kill us or our families. There's another reason why it's really easy not to care about Revelation. We don't write stuff like this. We don't know how to read it. Well, it's not easy to read. Think back, oh, some of you think still. You know, I remember back when I was in school and I had to read Shakespeare. And it wasn't modern paraphrase, it was Shakespeare. What a miserable experience that was. 
And if some of you are English teachers, you have my sympathy. I don't know how you motivate people to read Shakespeare. I loved reading anything but Shakespeare. Well, I didn't have to read Chaucer. I probably wouldn't have enjoyed that either. But you know the thing. And you read this stuff in Revelation about all these visions and all these... If you like sci-fi or if you like vampire literature, fiction, whatever that is, you know. <laughs> if you like that stuff, maybe you'll like this. But if you're a normal human being, this is going to be pretty... This is going to be pretty remote from your experience. And it's, you know, we can't read and say, okay, here's the point. Why should we care? It's not directly written to people like us. It's not directly relevant to us. And it's not a kind of literature that we're used to reading. To understand Revelation will take some concentration, will take some work. Why should we care? As it happens, we'll look at that today. What we're going to do this morning is look at some of those ten reasons why John said to them, you should care. You should embrace this letter, even though you don't really want it. It's not the message you want to hear. You should embrace it still. And then for us, we'll look at what that says to us. You know, this is not a natural thing for us to enjoy reading Revelation. I don't know. But why should we care? Why should we put in the extra work to understand this, even if we're not going to go through persecution? So we'll start. Ten reasons. We'll start, and at a designated time, I'll stop. And then if you want to know what the other ten are, take me to lunch. <laughs> not today, I have a lunch appointment. But some other day. But actually, they're in the devotional. But don't read it now, please. You know, listen to me now, and then don't, don't read it. Okay. First of all, take a look at verses 1 and 2. How does John start? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the first reason they should heed and embrace the letter and the first reason we should, because it's from God. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. John testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice what he's saying is, first of all, it comes from God. Second of all, there's a process of transmission here, which is reliable. God gave it to the angel. The angel gave it to John. John saw it all, and now he writes it for the church. This is the word of God, reliably delivered to the people of God. And it's about God. It's the word of God, the word about God, and it's a testimony about Jesus Christ, the testimony that Jesus Christ himself gave. Why should we care? Because it's an extraordinary thing that God communicates to his people. It's not that people philosophized, people meditated, people had some concept of God that they kind of wrote down and told everybody else about. It's God communicating to his people. You know, we support missionaries with SIL, whose job it is to translate scripture into languages where scripture doesn't exist because God's spoken to people, but they can't hear them because it's not in their language. The first reason we should listen 
is because God gave this revelation. This is God speaking. And he made it known through the angels, through his servant John, who saw everything, and then he wrote it down. And we have the written form. We have the written word of God in our hands. And this is the first reason why we should value it. And it's a relevant reason, not just for them, but for us. This is the word of God even to us. Now, it's a little bit complicated because he wrote it first to them and through them he speaks to us. So it means we have to go back and understand what they would have understood from this. It's a bit of a challenge. But this is the way that God has chosen to speak reliably to his people. I want to hear from God. God, what do you want to say to me? There's only one place I can reliably go. Occasionally people have visions, and a lot of people who claim to have visions, some of it's really bizarre, so you can't really rely on it. But there's one place I can reliably go if I want to hear God speak. God speak to me. That's to the Bible, including Revelation. We should value it. What happens often, though, I picked up a couple of recent books on a topic that's really important, the topic of grace. Or actually, you know, my son has written a book before. This is not a boast. My son's written a book, and he's trying to work on his second one. If you look up any recent books, mostly the recent books are like this. They tell stories. Because they say, well, people like to read stories. So recent books tell stories. Now, some of you know I have an interest in Haiti, a developing interest in Haiti. I'm not really that all that engaged yet, but anyway, I'm trying to learn more about Haiti. And I picked up one of these books written by a, a friend of my son's. And my son had warned me not to buy the book. I wouldn't like it, and I forgot, so I bought the book, and I didn't like it. It's not just parents that impart wisdom to the kids. Sometimes the kids impart wisdom to the parents. But what I didn't like about it was this book about Haiti, all the guy talked about was, well... You know, he he got married and decided he wanted to work in Haiti. And they went down there and they lived for a while, learned the language, learned the culture. They tried to build a house. It was really complicated to build a house. And then the wife got pregnant, so they came back to America. It was his story. And I thought, well, there's three hours of my life and $10 I'll never get back again. What do I care about? I mean, there's not a lot that went on. You know, everything's supposed to be about stories today. When we read scripture, John tells us a very, very little bit about his story here. So story's okay. You know, you read Acts, you you hear a little bit of story about, you know, the Apostle uh, Apostle Paul will sometimes reference his story. Story's okay. But if story is the main thing we do, you know, the three most popular sermons I ever preached were story sermons. When I was in Australia, I don't know, 30 or 40 years ago, I preached a sermon that had an ice cream illustration in it. And these Australians, they think Americans are crazy about ice cream. They, they don't get this American thing about ice cream. And I picked up on that, and so I told a spectacular ice cream story, you know. And oh, they loved it. Two years later, I walked up to a group of students at the seminary where I preached, and they said, oh, they said, we still remember that ice cream story. We have no idea what the point of the sermon was, but remember that ice cream story. <laughs> yeah, people like stories. You know, I told another sermon, I told a story about my brother dying, a really heart kind of wrenching thing. You know, and, and these things help people connect. Or we can tell stories about dating when a congregation is mostly singles. And people like funny dating stories. 
It's not just my preaching. It's not just because I'm a bad preacher. You know, Tim Keller is a famous preacher, right? Do you know what the most commonly downloaded sermon that Tim Keller ever preached was about? And he put it into a, he wrote it into a book recently, and some people in this church are reading that book because it was the most popular downloaded sermon of his of his whole ministry in New York City. It was about marriage, dating and marriage. Now, let me tell you, dating and marriage, this is important. You marry poorly, you're going to pay for it. You marry well, you're going to, well, not pay for it, but grow through it. It's, it's going to be a challenge, you know. Marriage is a big part of our lives, right? So it's okay, you know, a sermon about marriage is great. But very little of the Bible is about marriage. Mostly the Bible's about God and Jesus and sin and salvation. So shouldn't our priorities kind of align with God's priorities? And maybe one of the reasons that Scripture is so much about God and so little about dating and marriage is because God's trying to align our priorities with His so one of the reasons we listen, we read Revelation and adhere to it, pay attention to it, is because it's the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us what is the Word of God. The Word of God tells us what's important to God. And so we read Revelation because this is God's Word to His people. Yes, His people in the first century. Yes, it's a bit distant from us. But we want to know what matters to God. And so we read the Word of God. And Revelation says this from the very beginning. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. We have the word from God. We have the word from the angel. We have the word from the apostle. He testifies to every... This is the word about God. This is the testimony about Jesus. Why we should care? Because it's from God. A second reason why we should care. Take a look at... Verse 2. Well, verse 1b, sorry. Verse 1b. And it comes up again in verse 3. Which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Then in verse 3. Because the time is near. Why should they pay attention to Revelation? Why should they embrace this even though it's unpalatable to them? Because it's urgent. The time is short. That was the reason for them. This stuff was soon going to take place. It's going to occur soon. And remember what Jesus had said. Wait for me to come back. Be watchful. Don't fall asleep. John is saying, look, Jesus warned us, don't fall asleep. He's coming back soon. Don't fall asleep. This stuff is going to happen soon. Don't fall asleep. Be attentive. It's urgent. Not much longer. Now, how does that apply to us 2,000 years later? It actually has the inverse effect on us. They needed to pay attention because some of this stuff, a lot of this stuff, not all of it, but a lot of it was going to happen soon. We need to pay attention for just the opposite reason. We need to pay attention and read closely because a lot of it happened 2,000 years ago. All right? Now, as we go through this service, I'm not going to be too pointed about criticizing, but if you, I'm going to say it once or twice, if you followed how Revelation is used in the popular books, 
you know, again, 1960s, right? 1965, Hal Lindsey, late great planet Earth. Can you get this? Maybe you don't remember the name Hal Lindsey. You don't know the book. But here was, by its time, 1965, 68, whatever, Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth was the second best-selling nonfiction book in history. Millions upon millions of copies of this book sold. And it was about how Revelation predicts the end times, nuclear holocaust, and all sorts of things from our time. And the, the best-selling book in all of history, nonfiction book, had been the Bible. And his was the second best. Maybe the second best in English. But anyway, the point is, it's still well over 10 million copies. Last I knew, it was like 18 million copies. Now, you don't remember that, but you may remember Tim LaHaye. Left Behind series. Same thing, just warmed over. You know, as the year 2000 approached, the same thing warmed over. Now, if you've been raised in this tradition, I don't, I, you know, I don't mean to insult it or, or belittle it. I will criticize it. I don't want to belittle it. But most of Revelation, not all of it, but most of it, was about to take place soon. They needed to pay attention because it was urgent. For us, most of 2,000 years earlier, most of Revelation took place a long time ago. So one of the reasons we pay attention is so that we don't mishandle Revelation and start trying to predict all of our current stuff, like nuclear bombs and the common market, in Revelation. You know, there's one of about ten horns, and then I was supposed to be ten empires. And so when I was going through college, uh, 19, I don't know, 70 something, 71, Hal Lindsey had said, this is the common market. And the common market was then eight nations, nine nations. And it was going to become ten nations. And I told them, all, all my friends, based on Hal Lindsey, all my non, non-believing friends, I told them, look, you watch what happens. God has predicted this. God is telling about our time. And the common market is going to become ten nations. And then Jesus is getting ready to come back. And then the common market became ten nations. And my friends started, oh, whoa, whoa, maybe there's something to this Bible and all this stuff after all. And then the common market became eleven nations. Whoops. <laughs> what happened then? And how many nations is it now? I don't know. I don't keep track of these things. A lot. More than ten. You know, it's going to take place soon. In their day. So not all of it has taken place. Some of it is about the distant future. But when we read Revelation, we've got to pay careful attention. Because the author expected his generation to be able to understand it. So 666 is probably not Stalin, or Kissinger, or Bill Clinton. We want to pay attention so we can hear what God is actually saying to us through Revelation. And get rid of a lot of this deadwood, these misconceptions about what other people have told us Revelation's about. So we pay attention because... Some of this is still future, but some of it's still past. And we want to hear what God is saying to us in the light of what's yet to come in our lives. A third reason why we want to pay close heed to Revelation. I told you I wouldn't get through 10. I'm going to stop pretty much. Probably after this. Anyway, third reason. Look at verse 3. Blessed. You want to be blessed by God. You want God's blessing on your life. I mean, you got two choices, right? You got blessing or you got curse. Old Testament, remember? Deuteronomy, Exodus, blessing or curse. Deuteronomy, this is how you live if you want blessing, this is how you live if you want curse. Would you rather be blessed or, or cursed? Hmm, okay. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it 
and take to heart what is written in it. Why should we care about the book of Revelation? For the same reason they should. Because their blessing by God was dependent on them. On them hearing it, reading it, hearing it, taking to heart, obeying it. We want to know what God says through Revelation. Because when we want his blessing, there's this sense around there is this common misconception that, you know, all we got to do to have God's blessing is to pray to receive Christ, and then everything after that kind of God takes care of, and, and it doesn't really much matter how we live. And, and, you know, it's really hard to find that in Scripture. You really can't find that in Scripture. I don't know how, why it got it so popular in American culture. But what we find in Scripture is something like this. Blessed is the one who reads and hears and takes to heart. Our salvation, our blessing is never dependent on what we do. It's what God does in and through us. But Jesus didn't just come to die for us. You know this. Jesus came to transform us, to give us his spirit so it transforms us. So that when we read scripture, we say, oh yeah, this is from God. This matters. I'm going to do this. Not, not to earn my salvation, but because, because God loves me and has transformed me so that now, finally, for the first time, I, I can do this. So I'm going to do it. So the third reason why we read and take heart to Revelation is so that we can be blessed. For fourth reason, verses, verse four. Grace and peace to you. From whom? Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Grace and peace to you from the seven spirits before his throne. Who is, who was, who is to come. The spirits before his throne. What's going on here? If you know anything about Revelation, you know these people are suffering because they refuse to worship the emperor. They refuse to worship this human being who called himself the son of God. They said there is only one son and only one father. There is not a series, a succession of emperors who become deified when they die or become sons of God when they take their throne or become gods when they die. These are not gods and they do not deserve worship. There is only one eternal emperor over all of time. There's only one who's ever reigned upon that throne. And he reigned upon it from eternity past. He reigns upon that throne now, even while we suffer. And he will reign upon that throne for eternity future. There is one who is, who was, and is to come. And this book tells about him. One, the reason they should pay attention to Revelation, the same reason we should pay attention to Revelation. Because this book tells us about the great and almighty God. This book is a message to us from the great and almighty God. NFL teams have just gotten down their rosters to, what is it, 53 players? They've just cut a lot of people. There's a lot of football players walking around without jobs now. You know, you suppose, knowing that these roster cuts were coming up, when the coach tells players to play in a certain way, when he gives them advice about how to cover their man, or he leads them in a blocking drill, what do you suppose those players do? Oh, yeah, if I get around to it. 
Now, some of you have just come back for a new term of school, and, you know, your professors will give you a curriculum, and they'll kind of set some objectives for your course and some, lay out some assignments. What are you going to do? Oh, yeah, if I can be bothered. Or your boss at work says, here's a project, you're in charge. Get it done by a certain deadline, and you say, yeah, if it's convenient. And the emperor of the universe, who is, who was, who is to come, who reigns upon a throne surrounded by seven archangels, he speaks to us in Revelation. And we say, well, okay, you know, if I can fit it into my schedule. We wouldn't do that in life. We don't do that with Revelation. This is from God, the Eternal One. This is about the only emperor ruler of all the world. A fifth reason. Look at verse 5a. I'm going to skip 5a because I want to get down to the sixth reason. Verses 5b to 6. Here's the sixth reason. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he's made us to be kingdom and priests to serve his God forever. To him be glory and power and forever and ever. Why do we pay attention to Revelation? Not just because it comes from the Almighty God, but because it comes from Jesus, who loves us. Jesus, who's freed us from our sins. Jesus, who died for us. Jesus, who's elevated our status so that now we are royalty and now we are priesthood. We pay attention to Revelation because of all that Jesus has done for us. And in return, our hearts draw out to him. We pay attention to Revelation because Jesus has been our role model. He died for us. And maybe he calls them to die for him, but first he died. But more than that, we pay attention to Revelation and we give heed to Jesus because whatever we stand to lose in this world, we've gained so much more. Whatever they stood to lose, they had gained so much more. They gained the love of God. They gained freedom from their sins. They'd gain his atoning death for them. They'd become royalty. They'd become a priesthood. And this is why. Not because God is powerful and says we must. Not only because of that, although legitimately because of that, but also because of this. Because in his power and in his authority, in his right to tell us what we must do and why we must do it, instead, God sent his son to do what he must do for us. And in response to a love like this, we don't say, if I have time in my schedule, if I care enough to pay attention, what we say in response to this is, how great the Father's love for us, how firm beyond all measure, that he would give that sacred head to make us his treasure. We'll have a bit of a journey to walk together over the next 15 weeks or so through the book of Revelation. But this is where we start. This is the word of God. God, the infinite God, 
The God who sent his, die, his son to die for us, this is God speaking to us. Speak, O oh Lord, and we will listen. Let us pray together. Speak to us, Lord, even through a book more distant to us than Shakespeare. Speak to us, and we will listen. Not only because you're a great God, but because you've loved us so deeply. In Jesus' name, amen.